So, as we know, we're in our series on who do I say I am. We're looking at the I am sayings of Jesus and looking at these incredible things that Jesus said about himself in the Gospel of John. And so far we've had uh, I am the bread of life. We've had I am the light of the world. And last week, uh, in a preach which in no way impinges on mine, uh, Chris did I am the gate for the sheep. And this week I'm doing... Uh, I am the good shepherd. Now, actually, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. They're both part of the same uh, narrative, so there will be a little bit overlap. I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, there's still loads of good stuff uh, to listen to. So yeah, this week, we're looking at Jesus saying that I am the good shepherd. And last week, Chris looked at the first part of that. I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep or the door for the sheep. And it's the gate uh, that, as Chris told us, through which we enter a relationship with God, where we become part of Jesus's uh, family. We're invited to see a new identity and a myriad of promises. Well, actually, the Good Shepherd is slightly different from the rest of the I Am sayings. It is the only one in which Jesus says, I am, and the thing he says he is, is a person. All the other things are objects or, or even concepts or philosophies. But the Shepherd is the, the only one where Jesus actually says he is a person, a shepherd. And it reminds us that Jesus is living and active and very much present. Jesus is not an abstract idea. He's not a principle or theory. He's a living, breathing person which we, who we can relate to. And that is hugely important to grasp this morning. Now, John 10, in which the um, I am the Good Shepherd phrase occurs, it actually takes place over two halves. Uh, you've got verses 1 to 21 which is one event, and then 22 onwards, the scene changes. It's about a few weeks later, and, and the discussion continues. So we're going to read, um, going to read in two chunks. We're going to read verses 11 to 18, if you're following, and then we're going to read verses 24 to 30. So if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to it, John 10, 11 onwards. I'll put it on the screen as well, and let's follow along. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. And we're just going to skip Verse 24 onwards. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe, because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, And they will never perish. And no one 
but snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So Jesus has introduced this theme, that he is the good shepherd. It's interesting language, isn't it? It's not not necessarily something you might hear every day nowadays, but actually he's speaking to very much a Jewish audience in the first century. And this language to a Jewish audience would have been by no means unfamiliar. Actually, the theme of shepherding was very much present throughout the Old Testament. You see um, lots of examples. We see King David himself, one of the most famous people in the whole of the Old Testament. What was his profession before he became king? He was a shepherd. A shepherd boy turned king. And he wrote some of the most amazing psalms and poetry um, in which he talked about shepherding as well. We think of Psalm 23, that famous, famous passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And actually, throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, we see this theme of shepherding and sheep come again and again and again, especially in Isaiah and in Jeremiah. And actually, in this passage, which I put up on the screen from Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, uh, the prophet Ezekiel talks about bad shepherds and good shepherds. He talks about the bad shepherds who have steered Israel into problems, who've, who've taken the people of God away from him. But then God promises through Ezekiel that he will install a good shepherd. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So this idea of shepherds, as Jesus was bringing it, would not have been new to the people. They would have understood exactly what he's talking about. But they would have been quite concerned that he was telling them that he was this shepherd. But Jesus here, we see him using language and themes familiar to his audience to communicate his status and get his message across. And there's so much I could talk about in this. And actually, I've decided this morning to take a leaf out of Jesus' book. Always a good thing to do. I'm going to speak in a way which I hope will be familiar to my audience in 21st century Liverpool. Uh, And if nothing else, it will hopefully give you a small lesson in Scouse. I know not everyone here is Scouse, but you might learn something this morning. So, will you join me this morning for five boss things about Jesus being the Good Shepherd? Five boss things about Jesus being the Good Shepherd. It's one of my favourite words, boss. It's boss. Okay, so the first boss thing, the first boss thing about Jesus being our good shepherd is that the good shepherd lays down his life for us. And I will say as well, throughout this preach, I will use some sheep puns. I can't resist, I love a good pun, and I will use some. So I'm not going to warn you as to when they come, but I will assure you that they will be bad, uh, and you'll just have to listen out for them. So, first thing, our good shepherd lays down his life for us. The first point, this is probably the most important point. Because Jesus says he's the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. Now, shepherds clearly have a duty of care for their flock. Again, David in the Old Testament, when he was a shepherd, he talks about how he used to fight lions and bears. Pretty hardcore stuff. But let's be honest. Sheep are sheep. I mean, they're they're animals, aren't they? Most shepherds in the world would probably tell you that if the worst came to the worst, they would probably value their own lives over that of their sheep. To do otherwise would be absolutely balmy. 
Come on. <laughs> it's going to get worse, I can only assure you. It's going to be a long preach. Genesis is very clear, very clear, that hum- humanity, us human beings, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. When he creates human beings, they're the only thing that Jesus declares, sorry, that God declares as very good. Everything else is, oh, it's good. I've made it and it's good. When he makes humanity, when he makes Adam and Eve, he says, it's very good. So I'm going to be controversial and say, I think humans are a bit more important than sheep. Sorry if that offends anyone, any of you sheep lovers out there. If I saw a sheep in the road about to get run over, I'm probably just going to leave it there, if I'm absolutely honest. I'm probably not going to risk my life and limb to try and save a sheep from being knocked down. Whereas if I saw a human in the road, depending on what colour shirt they're wearing, (laughs) I might make some sort of effort (laughs) to try and save them. Because the the human life to me is worth more than the life of a sheep. I I think I I would value human life over a sheep. I'd put my life in danger, I hope, to save another human. But probably not for a sheep. And you know what? If I was employing... A shepherd, if I had my own flock of sheep and I was employing a shepherd to look after them, I'd expect them to take some reasonable risks to protect the flock. But being honest, I wouldn't expect them to die for my sheep. I really wouldn't. I really, really wouldn't. And that's the point that Jesus makes. He talks about the hired hand. He talks about the hired hand running for his life when the wolf comes. Because, well, what's the sheep to the hired hand? He's just been brought in to do a job. If danger arises, he's going to leg it. So what's this all about? Jesus says, actually, I'm the good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. Well, clearly he's talking figuratively. Figuratively, he's not talking about actual sheep. The sheep here are the people of God. Those who God has entrusted to Jesus to be their shepherd. And the people of God, as far as Jesus is concerned, are very, very much worth laying his life down for. In fact, it makes it very clear later on that this is something he does not forcefully, but voluntarily. He says, I, I lay down my life. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus' choice to lay down his life for his sheep, for his people. And this is absolutely huge, isn't it? We have, we the people of God, have a shepherd who died for us to protect us from death ourselves. It seems odd, doesn't it? If you're a sheep and you've got a shepherd who's looking after you and that shepherd dies for you, you're thinking, hang on, that's not much help to me because now he's gone. Surely that leaves him in greater danger. Well, ordinarily, maybe in in a normal situation. But in our case, as the flock of God, as the people of God, the danger is all of our own making, isn't it? The danger to to us is our own sin, our own evil desires, our own badness. And that danger is that we are putting a wedge between ourselves and God. We're going astray and we're wandering away from God and facing certain danger only for Jesus to die for us to take the punishment that should be due for us and lead us back to God it's incredibly powerful let's have a a quick question as a prize on offer what were some of the things that we breed sheep for just call out pardon food wool that's not the answer I'm looking for but keep going what else haggis good one Pete culturally relevant I like it what about in first century Jerusalem? What? Sac- who said that first? Here's your sheep-related prize. It's a Mars bar. Come on. 
Does no one like puns as much as me? I've really chosen the wrong crowd. Yeah, sacrifice was one of the key things that sheep were bred for. Sheep were a vital part of Jewish culture. If you read Leviticus 5, they're listed as one of the things that the people of God could sacrifice, shed the blood of, and offer to God in order to make up for their own sin and guilt. The sheep were a sin or a guilt offering to God. So many shepherds spent all their time looking after sheep that actually were just going to get slaughtered uh, and put on an altar for God. But Jesus completely flips this around. His flock, his sheep, are heading for death, but for him. Because in our sin, our punishment that we deserve is death, eternal separation from God. And actually sacrificing ourselves Trying to buy our own freedom, sacrificing ourselves won't help. It won't please God. You know, Old Testament sacrifice was helpful, but not perfect. You kill a sheep and offer it to God and atone for your sin. But it only atoned for the sins that you'd already committed. If you sinned again, you need more sheep and more sacrifice. You know, if we kill the sheep, it might make us temporarily okay with God until we sin again. The problem of sin right now is massive. It drives a wedge between us and God. And we can offer God nothing that will do justice. Nothing that will say to him, it's okay, I've paid my debt. I've paid for my sin. There's nothing we can give him that will do that for us. Any sacrifice we make will not be good enough to make us right with God. We need a better, perfect sacrifice. And our sacrifice is our good shepherd who lays his own life down and spares us He who is perfect, and he is an acceptable sacrifice to God. And God pours out his judgment and his punishment on Jesus rather than on us. Jesus even describes himself in John 1. In fact, John the Baptist describes Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to prioritise this point. Forget everything else I say, even the puns. And just remember this, this incredible news that we have a good shepherd who laid down his life for you and for us. It's the heart of the gospel. We are saved by our shepherd who gives up his life for us to make the sacrifice on the cross and that we are reunited with God. That's the first boss thing about Jesus being the good shepherd. The second boss thing about Jesus being the good shepherd is that he's a good shepherd whose flock is open to all. You see this in verse 6. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Remember the context here is Jesus is speaking to a gang of Jewish people, packed not just with ordinary Jews who went along to synagogue or temple, but actually with Pharisees and scribes, the elite, the highest powers of the Jewish organization. Jewish faith. And these people would have been brought up in the knowledge and love of the Old Testament, and they would have been reveling in the promises that God had made the people of Israel. But those are being warped, actually. They would believe that the promised land was theirs and theirs alone. They believed that they were God's people and no one else was welcome in. They wouldn't let other people into the family of God. Many believed that salvation was theirs and theirs alone. They were God's family, and to be in that family, you had to be Jewish. But actually, they were guilty of misremembering what God had promised in Genesis to Abraham. The promise that God made to Abraham was that 
It was bigger than just the Jewish nation. The promise was that Abraham would be the father of many nations and that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. So Jesus rams the truth down their throat. Come on. (laughs) I've never been booed before. (laughs) That's too far, Luke. That's harsh. Was that you, Luke? Yeah. Too far. He rams it down the throat of the Jewish audience that they are part of his flock. Yes, you're in. You're in. But I have other sheep, not of this fold. I must bring them also. It's a stark reminder to the Jews. Actually, salvation isn't just theirs. You can't claim it just for yourselves. He's the good shepherd who unites every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And that's why we can sit here this morning. Actually, I'm something like 132nd Jew, so I'd probably be all right anyway, if I'm honest. But the rest of you, (laughs) actually, we can sit here because Jesus' death opens up the floodgates. And it allows everyone in. The gospel is for everyone. There's no exclusion. Old, young, rich, poor, whatever race. We don't need to be Jewish. We don't need to be like these Pharisees and scribes. Actually, Jesus says, you know what? My flock, it's not just you guys. It's everyone. Anyone is welcome. Come, come in and be part of God's family. That's a huge, hugely important thing. As I say, without it, we'd not be sat here today. That's the second boss thing. Third boss thing. Third boss thing. The good shepherd speaks to us and we know his voice. It says this in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I think this one's really cool. Because as part of Jesus' flock, we can hear his voice and we know that it's him. You see, shepherding massively relies on communication from the shepherd to the flock. And actually sheep, as much as they are not as great as humans, they can distinguish a shepherd's voice from any other voice. And they will respond. In fact, I'm going to show you a video. Neil, if you could uh, play it, please. Amazing, isn't it? I, I kind of get chills watching that, just, just the, the point that it illustrates. Look, the first thing to note here is the incredible thing that Jesus is saying, is that he speaks to us. He speaks to us. God himself, Jesus, God in human form, is not some distant, far-off, silent entity. He's not a mute idol. He's the living God who actually speaks to his people. We must never lose sight or sound of how amazing that is. And some of you may be wondering, well, how? How does he speak? I'm not sure I've ever heard him. How does he speak? Well, there's a variety of ways. He speaks to us through this, through the word. He speaks through the scriptures. There are, are living, breathing words of God in here. Nice and easy. He speaks to us through other people, through prophecy, through words of knowledge. I know last week, Laura Morris, um, not here today, but she brought a prophecy and someone responded um, in, in an incredible way at the end because God spoke to someone through Laura. God, God, God brought a word through Laura and it really hit to the heart of people. God speaks through other people. He speaks through preaching and teaching. You might learn something through a preacher or a teacher, not just bad puns. Um, but God speaks his word through, through the people he, he, he uh, anoints to preach and teach. He might even speak through dreams and visions. We've seen incredible things, especially in the um, Muslim community, uh, of God, of Jesus revealing himself, appearing to people in dreams 
and Muslims becoming Christians because they've had this powerful encounter with God in the night, in a dream. Isn't that incredible that Jesus does that? And, you know, I don't think that's all, though. I think and I believe that Jesus genuinely, genuinely can and does speak to us in a way that's personal, but that we know it's him, almost like an audible voice. It happens often in Scripture. God speaks to his people. But I think we seem to talk about it quite little these days. I don't want to get all super spiritual here. I'm not one of these people who hears Jesus' voice all day. And I'm like, right, I was going to put red socks on this morning, but I felt the Lord tell me to put the blue ones on. It's, it's not like that. Well, it might be like that for some of you. If it is, teach me, but not for, not for me. But generally, I can point to a couple of moments, key moments in my life, where I genuinely feel and I know that I heard a virtually audible voice of God and it had a profound effect on me. I'll tell you about them. The first, on the left-hand side there, that's not actually me, but it illustrates the point. I was helping my dad. My dad's a vicar. And they put on a kid's club called Fit for Life. And it was a guy who must have been about 70, wearing a shell suit. And it was the cheesiest thing you've ever seen in your life. I was 16. I just volunteered to help my dad and do the overhead projector for the words. It was actually aimed at kids, tiny kids. And he was doing all these songs about wiggly waggly worms and I'm special and you're special and all this sort of stuff. And I was just cringing the whole week, just cringing, cringing, cringing. It was a few nights in a row. And on the last night, um, as I was packing away the projector, he actually, he'd done a gospel um, talk and he'd set out some chairs. And the reason I put that picture up, they were tiny, you know, these primary school chairs, which are about this high off the floor. And if an adult sits on their knees, are touching the chin. There was a little circle like that. And actually loads of kids responded. There was about 10 chairs and nine of those chairs were full. Now, I, at this point in my life, I'd made some sort of commitment to God in my childhood. If I'm honest, I had a very loose relationship with God. Uh, it, was a, it was a convenient one. I would, I would pray when I was desperately in need of something, like I'd lost something or I needed something to happen. Other than that, I'd go to church, but I didn't really, I wouldn't say that I was a spirit-filled, you know, living and breathing Christian. And as I, as I was packing away the projector, and I'd heard the words of that talk, and actually, I didn't want to admit it, but they they have done something to me. As he, as he taught the gospel in the most basic, childlike way, it impacted me. And I looked over at the chairs, and I saw that there was one left. And I literally, almost audibly heard God say, that empty chair's for you. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice one, God. Yeah, no, that's not happening. And then again, no, that, Chris, that's your chair. I want you to go and sit in that chair. So I did, and I gave my life to God in that chair with all these six and seven-year-olds. And the, 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 guy, the, the guy, Ralph, I'll never forget his name, Ralph Chambers, he came around and he came to me, he's like, you've already done this, haven't you? I was like, no, oh, I, I want to do it. And he's like, wow, amazing. He, like, he, he sent me a letter after it, it was really beautiful. But I just knew, like, I know that God said that to me. God was saying, that chair's for you. And, and, and he did something remarkable in my life that day. And that, for me, that was the day I was born again. The second one, uh, relates to Freedom Church, actually. Um, as Chris and Tor felt the call of God to come to Liverpool, and then they, they spoke to me and said, look, we're going to Liverpool. We're scared. We need a scouser with us. <laughs> Can you protect us? <laughs> they didn't really say that. Um, would you and Debbie consider coming? And I was like, in my heart, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm up for this, but is it the right time? You know, we've got loads going on in Leeds. We're very happy here. We're really settled. We're, you know, we've got a really great life in Leeds. It's all, it's all good. Debbie does not like change. Is she in the room? Yes, she is. Hi, Deb. Uh, Debbie, 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 you know, she's very flexible, but change isn't, isn't, her, isn't, her, isn't her number one thing. 
Um, but I really felt, oh, God, if you, if, you, if you really want to go, I think I need to hear it clearly. And, and then one day in, in church, in, in Gateway Church, I was worshipping one morning, just a normal run-of-the-mill Sunday. I wasn't particularly praying or, or praying about that anyway. I was just worshipping God. And clear as a bell, three or four times, I just heard the words, go home, son, there's work to do. Go home, son, there's work to do. And I just knew from that moment, I knew God was speaking. It was absolutely, I mean, clear as I, as I say it now, the shivers, I just knew it was God. And, and we did it. We came. It took, still took a while, but we came. But you see, God speaks. I can't explain how or why those things happen in those moments. Because, do you know what? There's been tons of times where I've been desperate for God to speak as clearly as that to me, and it hasn't come, and I've heard nothing. I don't know why he chooses some moments, not the others. But I do believe, people, that he does choose to speak to us in that audible, clear voice at times. And I think that's absolutely incredible, don't you? This, these are the words of a guy called Keith Hunt, and he's, a, he's actually a shepherd or a rancher in, um, in America. He says this. It used to amaze and intrigue visitors to my ranches to discover that my sheep were so indifferent to their voices. Occasionally, I would invite, just like in the video, I'd invite them to call my sheep using the same words and phrases which I, I used myself. But it was to no avail. The ewes and lambs and even the rams would simply stand and stare at the newcomers in rather blank bewilderment, as if to say, who are you? This is simply because over a period of time, sheep come to associate the sound of the shepherd's voice with special benefits. When the shepherd calls to them, it is for a specific purpose that has their own best interests in mind. It is not something he does just to indulge himself or pass the time away. His voice is used to announce his presence. He is there. It is to allay their fears and timidity. Or it is to call them to himself so that they can be examined and counted carefully. He wants to make sure that they are well, fit and flourishing. Sometimes the voice is used to announce that fresh feed is being supplied or salt, minerals or water. He might call them up to lead them into fresh pastures or into some shelter from an approaching storm. Listen to this. Always the master's voice conveys to the sheep a positive assurance that he cares for them and is acting in their best interests. Isn't that beautiful? That when our shepherd calls to us, it's for a purpose and it's for that positive assurance that he cares for them and is acting in their best interests. How good that we have a shepherd who speaks to us in that way, in that loving way, for our benefit, for our blessing, for our goodness. When we hear his voice, we should know that, what, that it's for our benefit. And it's even more amazing, the other thing that the verse says. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Think about that for a second. Have you ever looked at a flock of sheep? Do you think you'd be able to tell one from another? Can you spot the distinguishing features amongst them that would help you to know which one's which after a, a couple of days? If they got mixed up from the sheep with the sheep of another flock, would you be able to tell them apart? I, I know I wouldn't. But shepherds can and do know lots about their sheep. Jesus has literally billions of sheep in his flock. 
And yet he knows each one by name and understands who they are and what they need and will speak his voice to them at just the right time. In Psalm 139, we, we actually did a song this morning which, which picked up some of the lyrics from this. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I stand up or sit down, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. How amazing it is to have a God who knows us so intimately and speaks to us so tenderly. It is incredible. That is the third boss thing about Jesus being our good shepherd. The fourth thing, the good shepherd leads the way. Again, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. You know, there are different kinds of shepherding methods. You can drive and cajole the sheep from behind. You can send dogs out there to to run around and scare them into into sort of um, going where you want them to go. Or the shepherd can lead from the front. And Jesus is the shepherd who leads from the front, who, who the sheep follow. He goes before the sheep and he shows them the way. And that, I think, is incredibly comforting for us. And it is entirely consistent with Scripture. Jesus will never, if we follow him, we never ever go anywhere where he isn't. We never go anywhere where Jesus is not. That's what leading means. It means to go before. Wherever we find ourselves in our lives, no matter how, many, how difficult things might be, how painful things might be at this moment, if we've heard Jesus, we've followed him, then we know he's there. He's gone before us. God has always gone before his people, hasn't he? Again, if we look at the story back to Moses, leading the people out of, out of uh, Exodus, leading the Exodus out of Egypt, you know, the people had been in slavery and they came out, they were pursued by, the, by Pharaoh. But the, the scriptures say, how were they guided? Well, they followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God led them to somewhere they'd never been before, but they went after him and they had confidence. They knew where they were going, even though it was a wilderness, even though they'd never been there before, they could follow God. And that's true of us today. As followers of Jesus, we know all of our tomorrows pass through Jesus first. Everything we experience, everything, they've had to go through Jesus first. He's experienced every possible human emotion. He lived and breathed and died and rose again on this earth. He's done it. There's nothing that we can go through our li- in our lives that Jesus says, oh, not seen that before. Didn't expect that. I don't know how to handle that one. No. He's been through everything. Every human feeling and emotion, even death itself, he's been there. He truly leads us. And it should help to comfort us. It's what enables him to be the God who comforts. Because he's been there. He knows it. He understands it. And it should help us when we're in these difficult and tragic times. Hebrews 4 says, We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You see that? He's able to sympathise with our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way, the same as we are. And yet he's perfect. And we can draw near 
we can approach him with confidence. We don't need to be sheepish. <laughs> I'm having fun even if no one else is. <laughs> That's the fourth boss thing. The good shepherd leads the way. The final thing, the fifth thing. The good shepherd is the good shepherd for eternity. And it follows on for the last point. Jesus leads us safely and carefully. And in verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand you know knowing jesus as our good shepherd means the assurance that we are his forever forever wherever he leads us in life on this earth we cannot be snatched away for eternity I spoke last week, um, came to the front during the worship and just said, I, I felt that God was just directing us to lift our eyes to, to understand our eternal destiny, our eternal perspective. I think that's true. To, to give us that perspective that we are his forever. Whatever we go through on this earth, wherever you are right now, whatever you're dealing with, whatever's grinding your gears, whatever's really getting to you at the moment, whatever you're worried about, sad about, angry about, scared about there's something to come which is going to have none of that involved there is an eternity of security of peace of love of joy with god isn't that amazing absolutely amazing our place in the flock of jesus is never under threat even if we try and wander away even if we try and walk away, go back to Psalm 139. It says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even though your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And we can try and run from our good shepherd. We can try and walk away and try and hide but he comes after us because he loves us and he'll risk life and limb for us and he'll die for us. If we're in his flock, we're in it for good forever. And one day we will dwell with him in perfection and nothing can change that. It's our greatest treasure. It's our best reward. It's safe. It's locked in. It's not going to be lost. Jesus said he laid down his life, but he picked it back up again. He has power over death that we can have confidence in that we are his forever. So there you have it. Five boss things about Jesus being our good shepherd. How do we apply this then? How are you, how are you feeling this morning? Are you feeling guilty? Have you come with a weight of sin? A feeling of uncleanness? A feeling of dirt? A feeling of I'm not good enough? feel like you're, you're cut off from God with sin well fear not because our good shepherd laid down his life for you and relationship and forgiveness with God is possible and it's here it's available right here right now the sacrifice is already made you need not give him anything but your love and your trust have you come here this morning feeling alone have you come here feeling on your own. Well, fear not. 
because you belong to the flock of God. The body of Christ is for everyone who believes in him. You are welcome. It's not a secret club with exclusive membership. Come in. Be with the brothers and sisters. There's no restrictions on age or status or class or race. If you believe in him, you're in. You're not alone. If you come here this morning with questions, if you come searching for answers to to big problems in your life, things that you just can't get your head around. Why? Why does this happen? Why does that happen? Well, seek him. Seek the good shepherd who speaks to us. The shepherd who knows his sheep better than anyone. Can I encourage you to make time to listen to him? Spend time in his word. Spend time in worship. Spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he will speak. He does speak. If you make the space for him to speak into your life. And I encourage you to do that. Have you come here this morning feeling lost? Are you finding yourself somewhere new and unexpected and scary? You find yourself wandering and thinking, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what's next. Take heart because Jesus has already gone there before you. He's there already. Simply look to him. And you'll find him. He's there. You're not on your own. And finally, are you feeling vulnerable this morning? Are you feeling uncertain and fearful of what lies ahead? Then lift up your eyes. Rest in the knowledge that while your earthly days may feel unstable, your eternal future is entirely secure. That you have a place with God in all eternity through the blood of Jesus. Isn't that incredible?